It's the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Sean Del Grand. And we've got over 800 brand new Mazdas with outstanding incentives, like low monthly lease payments and low APR financing. Yep, it's just a great time to buy. So don't miss the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Financing on approval of credit. We have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. There's not many teams at the beginning of the year that can say that. We have a chance to, and, and it's got to be on us to make that happen. You're listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. This is our opportunity. Our time is, is now. Our window is now. 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 Sorensen with it. And that'll do it. Good room. Check at the buzzer by Engelin. Al Braun chatting with Alex Tuck. But nothing more of that as the Sharks head off and Marc-Andre Fleury celebrates the victory for the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Morning Tide. I'm your host, Ted Ramey. So happy to be with you on another glorious morning as we get set to talk about all things Sharks coming out of last night's game. And might I remind you, every new episode of Morning Tide comes out the morning after a Sharks playoff game. So we're keeping you up on all the postgame sound, all the stories out of the game, everything. We've got it covered right here on Morning Tide. Tell your friends, tell your fellow Sharks fans, this is being distributed on all the digital and social platforms of the San Jose Sharks as we give you the Sharks talk you surely deserve. The only problem is this morning, I'm not so sure that you want to hear it because the Sharks are coming off of another tough defeat at the hands of the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Las Vegas taking control of the series last night with a 6-3 win. And the thing is, is the Sharks are doing it to themselves. And that's not to take any credit away from what Las Vegas is doing We'll talk about what Mr. Stone is doing to the Sharks. We'll talk about just all the things that are going on, whether or not the disciplinary committee is going to come down on Jumbo. But first things first, I got to talk about what's going on with the Sharks to open up these periods. I have no idea what's going on. I don't understand it. I heard Devin Setaguchi talk about it, and I understand that you are looking at things tactically, but I'm just looking at this from a realistic standpoint. You know, I heard... Bakes and Hetty and Randy all talking about the fact that it was relatively unacceptable. I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's unacceptable to be giving up goals like that to start off the first and second periods of the game. It was the topic of discussion throughout the entire second intermission. And then what happens when the third period starts? They give up a goal again in the first minute. It's staggering. It's not just that it's unacceptable. It's simply not going to allow you to win. If you put yourself down a goal that quickly into a game or into a period, especially a period following a portion of the game, when you come back and built some momentum, you're simply shooting yourselves in the foot and you're chasing a game. And the last thing you want to do is go into Las Vegas and go into that environment and find yourself chasing a game from literally the moment the puck drops, because that is what the Sharks have done to themselves in this series and in the last two games in particular. They're giving up early goals 
putting themselves at an early disadvantage and simply not finding ways to respond early enough in the game. Yes, the Sharks in game number two were able to rally from a 3-0 deficit, but didn't get enough of the bounces to go their way. We're on the wrong end of a call that I think was incorrect. But the fact of the matter is, when you put yourself at a deficit like that to start off a game, things are not going to go well. The Sharks did not learn that lesson from game number two and take it into game number three. And once again, where are they 18 seconds into the first period? Where are they 21 seconds into the second period? Where are they 36 seconds into the third period? They're down a goal. And when you're already trailing and you give that up, and when you've cut the deficit to one and you think, all right, we're going to go out there to start the second period. We're going to get a goal early. We're going to make this game even at two, and we're going to build momentum from there. Instead, they go out there and they make the same mistake in giving up the early goal, 21 seconds into the second period. I mean, it's it's remarkable because I've never really seen anything like it. I mean, all year long, Jones has given up some early goals, but I mean, not like this. And it's A, indicative of the fact that things are particularly going Vegas's way right now, and that's a credit to them. They're making it happen, but it's also just showing that the Sharks are having critical breakdowns at critical moments. But that's why I ultimately look, look at this and think to myself, if the Sharks don't do this, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot by way of three goals to start off each period, respectively, Instead of being 6-3, you might be looking at a 3-3 game, or you might be looking at a 4-3 game with a chance to tie later. You might be looking at an entirely different scenario, and that's the most frustrating aspect about this, because the Sharks are better than what they're doing out there on the ice. And yes, you take some confidence from that, and you think to yourself, okay, what can they do coming out of this? What can they do to rectify this mistake? What can they ultimately take away from this game to say, okay, we've learned this is not going to happen anymore. Hopefully it's just to come out with the pedal to the metal a little bit more like it was in game number one. Game number one, Sharks came out full head of steam. They were not going to get behind in that game. They rode the emotion. They rode everything that was going on inside that building to an early lead and to a win. And that simply has not happened in game two or game number three, but it's certainly possible. I by no means think that this series is suddenly completely in favor of Vegas. I still think the Sharks have the better talent. I still think the Sharks have the better team. I still think the Sharks are capable of winning this series. It's just a question right now of whether or not they're going to stop making some of these mistakes that have put them in a bad position. And right now, everything is going Vegas' way. Everything. They are making Mark Stone look like Wayne frickin' Gretzky. But that's another thing that's giving me relative hope. I don't think Mark Stone is going to be able to keep that up. I think there will be a relative correction, and when that correction occurs, that will be in favor of the Sharks. This is why I've looked at this series as a seven-game series from the start. I felt both teams were exceedingly evenly matched and that the Sharks just at the top end level of talent had a little bit more. Right now, Stone is playing out of his mind. I don't think that will continue over the course of this series. He's got six goals and two assists in three games. That's remarkable. I understand this is the modern NHL where offense is king, but Mark Stone is not supposed to play 
to that level. And again, I think there will be relative correction, just like I think there will be a relative correction to the way that the Sharks have been giving up these early goals and the fact that they found themselves at these deficits. The Sharks found a correction in the first period of game number two, came back from a 3-0 deficit, and were able to tie it at 3-3. Now, maybe it was an overcorrection, but I could also argue there was an overabundance of scoring early on from Vegas to take a 3-0 lead in what, the first seven minutes of the game? That's abnormal. It's also abnormal for a team to rally from that quickly and have it tied at three after the first period. So again, there's an ebb and a flow. There is a norm. There is an abnormality that we are seeing play itself out. The first game, it went in the way of the Sharks when they absolutely dominated the second period. I felt that was abnormal and the series wasn't going to go that way. And just as we saw that period be odd, and that was what ultimately won game one for the San Jose Sharks, we have seen abnormalities or things that are due for correction from the Las Vegas Golden Knights in games two and game three. Now that's not to say that these things are just going to correct by way of time simply passing. The responsibility is on the Sharks to make the correction, but I do think these are things they can correct and I do think they can th turn things back in their favor. Now, there are some things I'm worried about, like Joe Thornton, he had the high hit on Nosek, being discussed widely on social media, particularly under the view of how the NHL Department player safety is going to be looking at checks to the head like this in these playoffs in particular, and just the how we view hits to the head in modern sports. I don't view this with any specific malicious nature beyond it's hockey. I think Jumbo has the respect of everyone ever in hockey. This isn't going to change that, but we all know that during the playoffs, when the most eyes are on the NHL, the league and player safety become much more hotly debated compared to what we see maybe in December. That's not to say that player safety isn't at a premium, but I think the league knows how visible these hits are. So hopefully they'll just look at it like they would look at anything else and decide, you know, how to best go forward and what is the fair and pragmatic thing to do. I respect the league and how they're going to take this. It's just something that I am worried about. And I think that any Sharks fan should be worried about because there is the potential that you could be missing Jumbo, which is not a good thing. There's also now this injury to Michael Haley. He took that shot right off his lower leg ankle area, went down in extreme pain. And when you see Haley showing pain like that, you know it's legit. This guy has a reputation of being one of the toughest guys in the NHL. He, I mean, he was pounding the ice. I mean, that's just never a good sign. You hope that he's all right because they had to play a forward down for the remainder of the game. And then, of course, you're looking at the situation with Mark Edward Vlasic. He missed game number three last night. You don't know what he's going to be looking at with game number four. You don't know what he's going to be looking at going forward because we did not get a clearly defined idea of what that injury was. So right now for the Sharks, there are some relative question marks. But again, the big ones giving up the goals to start off each individual period, that can be corrected. You're not in control of the injuries. I understand that. You're not in control of how the league is going to view Jumbo's hit. I understand that. You are in control, however, of how tight, for lack of a better term, you're going to be at the start of these periods to ensure that it doesn't happen right then and there from the get-go because it kills momentum. It makes you start chasing a game or a period or or a deficit, and it's overall, it just has a negative connotation. Even if you're up 4-1 and you give one up in the first minute of the period, it's still going to put you in a negative mindset, at least momentarily. So again, eliminate what you're in control of, deal with the rest. All right, after we talk to Dan Rusinowski, I do want to 
play you the entirety of head coach Peter DeBoer's press conference because I think there were some interesting stuff to take away, but I do want to get into some postgame sound first. Here's Jumbo when he was asked about the high hit on Nosek. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I honestly thought I barely touched him. It was just, you know, he, he came right back. It was just one of those plays that, yeah, it is what it is. But, um, you know, I think, you know, I probably... I think my son hits me like that, you know, six times today. It was just, you know, just a weird position. He put himself in, that's all. Yeah, Jumbo had a bit of a twinkle in his eye after this one, and he was also cracking wise when he was asked about the fight between Kane and Reeves. Yeah, for a 30-goal score, boy, he looked good in that fight. Huh? You know, it looked like Brett Hall. You know, Brett Hall fighting Ryan. It was just, uh, you know, it was tough to see Ryan go down like that, you know, versus a, you know, a 30-goal score, but... Hopefully I'll have better luck next time. Oh, you got to love it, man. Not much phases Jumbo. From Big Joe to Little Joe, here's the captain Joe Pavelski on the team, giving up those goals early in each period. You know, well, it just puts you in that hole. And, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit this morning. <laughs> it's the starts, and it's just uh, it's a simple read on my part and someone else's part. And, uh, you know, next thing they get a great A right off the hop. And, we don't want to put ourselves in that position. You know, we, we need to be better there. And, you know, it just wasn't the first. It was each period here tonight. And it, we start getting a little momentum. And, you know, it's it's tough to keep it going or get it back when you do that at the start. Pavelski also weighed in on the trouble the stone line has been causing the Sharks. Yeah, they're playing good. Um, play them hard, you know. Try to play in the ozone a little bit against them. They're, they're finding, you know, second, third opportunities to bang in some goals right around there, getting behind us a little bit. Um, you know, so they're feeling it right now. So it's it's uh, it's on us to kind of do our job to shut them down a little bit better. And that goes back to what I've been saying this entire time. It is on the Sharks, and I think that Pavelski realizes they can correct these mistakes and make it stop happening. That said, Logan Couture didn't really have any answers when he was asked why the team has had such trouble at the beginning of the periods over the past two games. The last couple games, a tough starts. Um, where is that coming from? Why is that happening? I don't know. But he did offer this. I mean, it's not just tonight. I think uh, last game it happened as well. Five of the last six trades, I think we've given up on them in the first two minutes. So it's something that's got to change. We've got to uh, be ready off the hop in these periods. I mean, some of them, uh, some of the mistakes we don't need to make. They made some nice plays, but uh, we've got to be ready to start periods. As for the Golden Knights' quick starts, this is what head coach of Vegas, Gerard Gallant, had to offer. Well, I thought, uh, obviously, you like to score every shift, and especially to open up a game. And coach says that every night, but it doesn't happen too often. So tonight we went out there and we found a way to get a couple goals early, obviously. And we carried the momentum a lot, so it was great to get those quick starts. Yeah, quick starts. It was three goals that was the difference between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Sharks tonight. Six, three, the final. And it was those early goals in each period that was the difference. Need I remind you? Here's Mark Stone. Scores! For the ninth time in the 17 times these teams have played playoffs in regular season, the Sharks give up the first goal in the first five minutes. And tonight, it's just 16 seconds in. And it's a 1-0 Vegas lead on the goal by Mark Stone. And that's his fourth of this series. And it happened just the same to start the second and to start the third. 
But again, you fix those mistakes and you are looking at an entirely different game and an entirely different series. And I do think the Sharks can fix those mistakes. All right, you're on Morning Tide, which comes out each morning after Sharks playoff games. Coming up next, we are going to talk to Dan Rusinowski. But after that, I want you to stick around to hear us listen to Pete DeBoer's press conference after the loss. I thought he said some interesting things in, well, not so many words. I think you have to read between the lines, but I think he got into some interesting stuff here. But now, without any further delay, it is the one and only Dan Rusinowski, the radio play-by-play voice of the San Jose Sharks. Rusey, what's going on, man? How are you doing? Well, I'm just trying to take it all in, Ted, after a 6-3 to three loss in game number two. Pretty tough pill to swallow for Sharks fans, but it's got to be worse for the guys in the locker room after the game. Uh, they just did not do what they came here to Vegas to do in this contest, and the Golden Knights took advantage of every opportunity that was given to them, and I think that that's what they have to look at, that this is a game that they handed to the Golden Knights in many respects on a silver platter, made it a lot harder for themselves, and crazy as it may seem, they were still in the middle of the game at some critical moments in the contest, but those critical moments when they got there could have gone either way, and they went Vegas's way tonight. Yeah, Dan, I have to agree with you on a lot of those issues that, that handed it to them on the silver platter. I mean, that's why I feel at this point the Sharks still have you know all the opportunity in the world, but they're shooting themselves in the foot, particularly the issue of these early goals in each period, 16 seconds in, 21 seconds in, and 36 seconds in for the, for the three periods respectively. I've never heard anything like that before, and I think in the history of the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's only ever happened once before. Have you? I mean, have you ever heard of this happening before? Well, it certainly hasn't happened this often for the Sharks in the Stanley Cup play, I can tell you that, especially in one series against one team. I'll have to go back and, and check the uh, the all-time listings and see if anybody's got anything for that. But uh, did you have something on that? No, I just saw I saw one tweet by Scott Reese of KTVU that said it had only happened one time before. And I, was, I said, well, maybe Ruzi's heard of that or maybe he's already done the, the research no. on the way home. But, I mean, I was just – I was stunned watching it, especially – after the, the second intermission, it's all anybody was talking about. And, well, they and, they, and they, you know what? They better talk about it because this is a big deal. And it's not anything that's new to this playoff series. You go back to all the games the Sharks have played against Vegas this year, and they've allowed a total of 31 goals so far after game three of this series. Out of the 31 goals, 13 of them make that 14 of them have been in the first five minutes of period. Six this series, but eight in the regular season in the first five minutes out of all the goals against they've allowed. So that's almost a little bit over 45% of the total goals the Sharks have given up have occurred in the first five minutes of periods. That's just simply unacceptable, embarrassing, something that has to be rectified if the Sharks want to win this series. Yeah, I mean, that's what I've been talking about, is that even more so than it's unacceptable, because that's the the term that was used, I heard, from, from Brett and Jamie and Randy. They all said that, but you're just I said embarrassing. Embarrassing, too, but you're not allowing yourself to win. I mean, you take that away, and we're looking at a completely different game. I mean, th- these are just, it's the same error at the start of each of the periods, and otherwise, it's a totally different game. And I know that sounds... Well, I mean, I'm not trying to apologize for them, but that is the reality. I mean, you could be looking at an entirely different scenario after three games than what we're actively looking at. Well, that's true, and and it's it's got to give at least some silver lining to what's a dark cloud after game two. But let's just put it this way. The Sharks will be the first people to tell you 
that uh, this is just not working out. And it's just the strangest thing. Um, it, it just seems that the hockey gods in that part of the game are just not on the Sharks' side right now in the series. They're going to have to fight their way through it. Now they've got some more injuries to deal with. Mm-hmm. No Mark Edward Lassick in game number three. That's a big loss. And, uh, you know, Michael Haley blocks a shot in the second period and is lost for the rest of the night. So they went with 11 forwards. And while that uh, that can certainly be, you know, rectified, Jonas Donskoy hasn't played a game yet in this series. Lukas Radiel hasn't played yet. Uh, obviously, that's not, not the scenario that they really envision. So... Uh, they're going to have to just pull it all together, and they're going to have to make sure that they do that, and I know this team can do that, no doubt. Just go back to the first game at, at how well they did everything, and they they played with such confidence and certainly uh, aggressive intensity and focused creativity. Those are the things they'll get back to in game number four. I've got full confidence they will. Yeah, and I expect there to be a relative level of kind of a, a rectification, if you will, or a correction overall because, I mean, it's not like Mark Stone is going to keep on playing like this. He looks like Wayne Gretzky so far in this series. I mean, I understand that the modern NHL, particularly this year, offense is king, but, I mean, this he's playing out of his mind. That's That, that can't continue, can it? Well, he's a great player, and he's always played great hockey against the Sharks. I think his great strength is his high hockey IQ and the fact that, uh, like some of the great smart players in the game, he knows where the puck is going. And I, I, I have to tell you, he had five points in this game, too. Three goals and two assists. Stashny, two goals and three assists. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pacioretty had one goal and one helper. So um, that's 12 points between the three of them in this one game. You add the 10 they've already scored before, 22 points in three games. This is the line that's destroying the Sharks right now in the series. And Stone does this by knowing where the puck is going to be, but being very responsible defensively. And you can talk about all the offensive chances you want, but go back and look at the game and see how many times he went back and started plays by making good defensive plays for his line mates. And, you know, he does that all the time. So it's not a surprise. That's the type of player he is. And kudos to George McPhee for being able to get him from Ottawa to put him together with Pacioretty and with Stashny. Those are all three new players on this Vegas team. Uh, Stashny at the beginning of the year and Pacioretty and, and Stone near the near or at the deadline. So that's uh, that's a pretty big uh, swing in terms of the types of players that they've got. And the Sharks have got to solve that. Yeah, again, we're talking to Dan Rusinowski right now here on Morning Tide, of course, discussing the Sharks' 6-3 loss in Game 3 to Las Vegas. Um, you talked about it, the loss of Mark Edward Vlasic in this game, and now we're looking at Haley. We don't yet know the status of those guys. I'm curious if you had a, a chance to listen to any of uh, head coach Peter DeBoer's comments after the game, because I thought that he was very respectful of it as, as players, but also at the same time, in, in not so many words, issuing challenges challenges to them did you have a chance to listen and if you did did you pick up any of that well uh, I know probably what I expect I, I can tell you that we're, we're actually having this chat before I sit down and listen to it sometimes we we throw that stuff on live mm-hmm. on our Sharks radio network post game show but this time we didn't do that we just did a quick highlight show and finished up after the 6-3 defeat but um, you know and, and I've got to take the tram over to get from the rink to the hotel so I did that and here we are sitting here. But anything he says does not surprise me. This guy knows exactly what his players need. What he says to the media and what he says inside the locker room are often two different things in terms of the angle in which he handles it. Mm-hmm. But, the gen- but the general philosophy of what he says is not different. It's exactly correct. And uh, I would suspect that, that, that he understands uh, that we're at a tipping point in the series. There's no doubt. 
And if the Sharks can come back and make it 2-2, that'll make it easier for them. It'll be a best-of-three series. San Jose will have home ice, and that's a situation that anybody would take. And certainly at the start of this series, nobody would be surprised at this uh, this uh, being 2-2 after four games. So let's uh, maybe take a little step away from um, the gloom and doom after a, a tough loss 6-3, to uh, being outplayed the way they were, because things will change and the momentum will change with every game, maybe every shift in this series. So it's a long way to Tipperary, long way before this one's over. Is it, in your opinion, playing out relatively similarly to how you expected it? I mean, I, I'm sure you weren't expecting uh, the, fir- the you know, first-minute goals maybe to this extent, even though there is a history of that. But in terms of watching this, I mean, were you expecting a back-and-forth seven-game battle? I mean, I predicted seven when the series started. I just looked at the Sharks' top-level talent being just a little bit better, and I thought that would be the difference-maker. Um, so, I mean, how are, how are you viewing it? before versus how it's playing out right now it's about it's pretty close to what what's being played out i'd say the disappointing things are what's being handed to vegas and in the two losses they didn't do that in game one and when they don't do that they generally win um you know everybody's you know getting up in arms about martin jones's save percentage but he actually made some big saves in this game when he did trying to come back and deserves a lot of credit for that and the other thing is if you go from the all-star break to the end of the season and really into this playoff series to game one, out of the games in which the Sharks allowed two goals or less, Martin Jones' save percentage is over 94%, which is excellent. So uh, it's it's not like that there's this uh, you know end of his career kind of thing going on. No, this, this guy's an excellent goaltender. The team's got confidence in him. I think that the problems are a little more complicated than that, and it relates to uh, what's going on in front of him? I mean, after all, Mark Stone walking in on a breakaway, the Red Seas parting and giving him <laughs> a chance to do that in the opening minute, that's not an error that Martin Jones made. That's an error that the defense made uh, on that play to give him that opportunity. And something happened. I'm not sure if it was a communication issue. Um, communication, as we know, is free. But maybe they decided not to take the freebie on that one and gave gave the Golden Knights a freebie. And, you know, you could go through all those goals that have happened early. They've just been weird. It's just been a strange – I don't call it a situation that's a trend. I just call it a very strange anomaly this season in this series against the Golden Knights. And maybe it plays to the fact that Vegas is a team that has a quick strike capability that if you provide them with even a crack of the door that opens, they barge their way through it. And I think that we saw that in, in game two and three. Again, we are talking to Dan Rusinowski here on Morning Tide. The Joe Thornton hit to NOSEC is getting some discussion now, and people are saying that the player safety committee is going to take a look at this. Um, how much of Jumbo's background is a guy who has no history of being um, a, a dirty player plays into what the uh, what the player safety committee is going to look at here? Because you know, it's uh, watching Jumbo throughout his entire career; he's as well respected as anybody in the history of the league. D- does that play a factor at all, or do they just say, "Hey, you know what? Right now, we've never got more eyes." on us it's the playoffs and anything involving the head is viewed under a different microscope uh, especially in 2019 and especially with the greater number of eyes on it I I think that the way that they're going to look at this is obviously the call on the ice was two minutes for head contact that's the penalty that he got so when the people at the league office see that penalty they're going to look at it that's just the way it is 
Similar to that, they look at uh, pretty much every goal, especially ones that are late in periods and in overtime, to make sure that there's no goaltender interference or anything like that that's going on. Let's forget about the Game 2 goaltender interference penalty that was not uh, the correct one, in my opinion, and in many others' opinion, that basically swung that Game 2 in favor of Vegas. My that's opinion just as a, well, Dan. <laughs> yeah, that's just, it's just a, that was just a, a tough moment uh, that they have to look at. But, hey, they're going to look at all that stuff. Um, you know, we just see Nazim Kadri is uh, in danger of getting suspended maybe for the rest of this series against Boston because he's getting an in-person hearing with the Department of Player Safety. Mm-hmm. And in the regular season, that means they, they, they figure that he could be up for a, up to six game or more suspension. Um, I don't know how they, they, they work that out in the playoffs. Usually it would be maybe probably a series. But uh, they'll look at it with Joe Thornton. They could do something uh, as, as easily as saying, we looked at it and there's no suspendable offense. They could look at it and say, we could find the player for that, since he certainly doesn't have any uh, major history of it. Or they could decide they want to suspend them for a game um, or maybe even more. So anything can happen in that regard, but they'll consider all that more than likely just because they're going to look at the sheet and they're going to see two minutes for head contact. So they'll definitely look at it. Yeah, and the other one that people are talking about, it was the uh, the, the dust-up between uh, Kane and Reeves. Um, there were a couple of things out of that. One, it's after Haley is out of the game, and the other, it's as Kane has been out there on the ice for a while. Did that one bother you at all? You mean the fact that Kane fought him? No, no, just the just the overall situation. Well, you don't want necessarily Evander Kane fighting. However, um, he's he's doing things in the third period to set the table for game number four on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. That's really all he was doing. And he was expressing some frustration. And certainly Reeves has been a pain in the neck all season and series long. So there's nothing unusual there that uh, that comes to mind. That's just playoff hockey. Yeah. A couple of guys going at it. And, uh, yeah, there have been some liberties taken on that side. But, hey, Costa Vegas is fourth, fourth line in many respects. You know, near the end of the second period, they had that line out there for the last two minutes. And, again, uh, late in the game they were playing. And they were delivering a lot of hits. Last time I looked, I didn't look at the final sheet, but Will Carrier had 10 hits in the game. He might have ended up with more than that. And so that's something that's effective. And hats off to them. They played a great game. It was Logan Couture who kind of got the physical nature of this game going for the Sharks. Did that surprise you at all that he took that onus upon himself and said, okay, I'm going to get this going because we need a little bit of an emotional charge right now? No, absolutely not. I think Logan Couture is a heart and soul player that is one of the guys on the Sharks roster that hates to lose more than anybody on the on the team. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you're sitting there saying, uh, what do you mean, Dan? Everybody hates to lose. Of course, everybody does. But there are a couple of guys that uh, really hate it. I think that Pavelski is one of those guys. And I think Couture is one of those guys, among others on the team. But they just have a, an, uh, an really a special hatred of going down to defeat and they're willing to do absolutely everything in order to win. And that's something that, uh, you know, if Couture says I've got to apply a body check, I've got to be the guy that, that initiates physical contact. Uh, he's going to do it and he will do it. It's interesting watching these two teams, Dan, over just the, the course of Vegas's. this is their second year in existence. Clearly there is animosity. Clearly the rivalry has quickly developed, especially in light of the fact that, the Kings have dropped off and the Ducks have been dealing with so many injuries. And then also Detroit has been in a, in a downward trend. This rivalry, 
it happened at the right time, I think, for both of these teams and for this league. But are you surprised at how quickly these two teams have learned to hate each other? Because it really does feel like a rivalry that's more than just two years old and that goes beyond just one previous playoff series against the two. It seems to run deeper than that. And maybe it's just the right blend of personalities on each team that gets each other's blood up. But it feels much greater in terms of rivalry than its relative short history would suggest that should be out there. Um, I, I think you're right about that, I suppose, if you look at it from a distance, but it makes sense to me. They're division rivals. It's only an hour flight. Uh, you know, Vegas is not in Southern California, but it might as well be attached to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And and so there are all these things that just make it a natural. And the fact that, uh, that you have two consecutive playoff series, the fact that Vegas made it to the Stanley Cup final last year, kind of waltzing their way through the playoffs, uh, you know, certainly makes the teams that they face a little more angry at their early success witness teams like Florida that, you know, go 10 years without making the playoffs. And they're looking at this new team going all the way to the final and saying, guys, it's not that easy and we're going to make you feel it. I I think that there are all those things at play. And, you know, the Sharks have great rivalries with Anaheim and Los Angeles. It goes back and forth year to year, which they hate worse. A lot of that has to do with playoffs and positioning. But you got the geographic rivalry, too. And I think that just makes for great hockey, great entertainment for the fans, more intensity and and all in all, just a, a great marketing thing for the NHL, too. Oh, most definitely. And, I, you know, these NHL uh, playoffs, the Stanley Cup this time around, it's been, it's been wild, Dan. I mean, you look at what's happening with Tampa, for instance. I mean, the, you, wow. you never know what's going to happen on any given night. And this is, this is why I love the Stanley Cup playoffs so much. I mean, the, the emotion, the intensity. I, you know, I have no idea where this is all uh, heading towards. I mean, last year I would never have been able to predict that the Las Vegas would have made it to the final or that, you know, Ovi and his caps would have had a big comeback early on and be able to rally from an 0-2 deficit and then ride that all the way. I mean, I, that's the best part is I have no idea what's going to happen next. Well, remember that when you start analyzing the Shark series because we don't know what's going to happen next. And I think that the league has done a great job with that, A, in the system that they have with the salary cap system and with the expansion draft that went successfully for Vegas and one that will go successfully for Seattle. What you have is you have teams that are pretty even, parity in the league. And that's actually good business because what ends up happening, like you said, you don't know what's going to occur in the first round. And if you take a look at the TV ratings nationally, there's as much interest in the first round as any time if you look at the full body of work across mm-hmm. the country. So that's a good plan because what you're doing is you're getting maximum interest in the early round of the playoffs because traditionally in the NHL, when your local team loses, there is a bit of a drop-off in terms of the overall uh, interest in the rest of the playoffs. And I think that it's the goal of the NHL, and it should be, that you want there to be interest nationwide regardless of who's playing. What's the comparison for that? Well, look at the NFL. In the NFL, when there's a Super Bowl, people are having Super Bowl parties everywhere, and people are watching the game and they're interested in the game, even if they're a casual fan of the, of the sport. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a big event, and it's a fun event, regardless of whether you like football or not. Well, uh, what you want to, to develop, and that, that really developed out of In the early history of the NFL, in my opinion, the regional rivalries that we're talking about in the NHL now that are going on with the divisional playoff system. So, uh, you know, you go back to 1958, and that's when the NFL really became a national sport 
in this country when Johnny Unitas took the Baltimore Colts into Yankee Stadium and in the first overtime game that was on national television in NFL history, handed the ball off to Alan Amici. He dives into the end zone, and the Baltimore Colts beat the New York Giants, who were probably the favorite team in the NFL championship at the time. And that, that really just engendered a great bit of interest in the league and then, obviously, it's it's continued to develop through those regional rivalries to where it is now, where if the Arizona uh, uh, Cardinals play the Carolina Panthers in the in the Super Bowl, there's still going to be interest all around the country in that game. And so the NHL is, is, is slowly and steadily building through the regional rivalry system uh, to get to the point where then you'll have a New York Ranger fan maybe interested if the, you know, the Sharks played the uh, – Montreal Canadiens in the Stanley Cup final or the Boston Bruins. And that's exactly what you want in terms of building your TV business. So uh, radio, too. So that that's what that's what's going on there. Well, I think all anyone has to do is uh, watch just a few minutes of the Sharks and the Knights right now, and I think they'd be hooked pretty easily. But, Ruzi, I know it's been a long day for you, so I will let you go. I'm looking forward to listening to your call for game number four and seeing where this series takes us. All right, my friend? Absolutely, Ted, and uh, congrats on getting the podcast started. Uh, that's, Thank that's you. That's along the, the lines of what we're doing on our side with, with our Sharks radio podcast, so it's another choice for everybody. But do me a favor, will you? Let's do this again together after a Sharks win in a playoff yes, game, all right? Yes, I agree, Dan. I agree very much. Well, thank all you right. so much, and we will talk soon, all right? All right, Ted. The great Dan Rusinowski, and I'll take you all a little bit behind the curtain, and I've gotten to know Dan over the years, and just an absolutely wonderful guy. I mean, he sounds that way on the radio, but you never really know until you get to know somebody, but he's a delight. And Dan and I have had the opportunity to have extended conversations on politics and society and media and sports. And every time I have a chance to talk with Dan, um, I always just walk away with a smile on my face. And it's uh, it's a great thing to have a guy like that representing the Sharks organization, a truly unique individual, and uh, everybody in the Bay Area is lucky to be able to listen to him on Sharks broadcast. The dude is fantastic and has cemented his place in Bay Area radio history. Again, you are on Morning Tide, which comes out every morning following Sharks playoff games. Of course, it is distributed by the Sharks digital and social media platforms. So tell your friends if they are Sharks fans, and they don't really have to be your friends either. Just so much as if you know someone who is a Sharks fan and they want to hear more Sharks talk in their life, please tell them about this program. All right, I teased it. It's time for us to get into it. I want to play you the entirety of of Peter DeBoer's post-game press conference, because I think some interesting stuff was said here. Let's listen to it, and I'll give you my reaction as we move along. Pete Logan mentioned that you guys have given a goal in the first two minutes of five of the last six periods. What has to happen for the team to be a little bit more prepared at the starts of periods? Well, um, it's true. I mean, tonight, I think, what, 30 seconds into each period, we gave up a goal, so... I don't know. I mean, you got your best players on the ice starting the period. That's, that's on that group to to make sure we're ready and we don't give that up. It's not like it's a, a mismatch because of, of uh, line changes or, you know, it's best against best and you got to get it done. So right there, he's acknowledging that his best players are on the ice and they are failing. So 
he's issuing a challenge. Now, he's not saying that he's challenging them. He's not trying to belittle them. He's just saying, hey, my best guys are out there. They need to be better. And I think his guys would acknowledge that reality as well. Coach, uh, the Stone, Stastny, Pacioretty lines seem to give you guys a lot of trouble. What were they doing so well? Yeah. Yeah, well, they've eaten us up here this series so far, so uh, we haven't had an answer for them. Uh, what, what do they do well? I mean, you get three very good players that, uh, you know, are playing at a really high level right now. So, you know, that, that is part of the issue. We've got to find an answer to, to slow those guys down. Um, is uh, tonight um, a little bit of a needing a few more saves, or is it a whole team thing that's uh, just not working out or didn't work out tonight? Um, <clears throat> you know, it was a strange. Uh, there was a lot of things. I think uh, I don't think we had enough participants playing at a high enough level, which you know puts you behind early. I think six minutes of penalties in the first period, you know, puts you puts you behind. At the same time, we're still. We're still in that game, you know, at, at, at a couple different stages where I thought we could have, you know, the one thing about our group is they don't quit and uh, they haven't all year and they haven't regardless of the scoreboard. So that that's something that we can hang our hat on. But, you know, we didn't uh, we didn't do enough to win tonight. We weren't we weren't good enough across the board to win tonight. And the situations we had where, you know, we get to the end of the first, come out in the second, regroup, it's only 2-1. Uh, you know, we've we've had six penalty minutes. Everything that can go wrong did in the first, and we got out of it only down 2-1, and then we get scored on first shift. So, I mean, that, that stuff just can't happen. And this is the quote right here. I don't think we had enough participants playing at a high enough level, which, you know, puts you behind early. I mean, that's as close to a public call-out as I think you're going to get from DeBoer, but I think in not so many words, he's calling out his guys saying, hey, not everyone was playing at a high enough level, and he's 100% right. Do you worry about any repercussions over the Thornton hit? I don't know. I haven't looked at it. You know, I haven't had time yet, so. Uh, can you talk a little about the uh, the flipping of the script on the penalties, game two? The Knights took a lot of penalties tonight. Yeah. It seemed like you guys were on yeah, the opposite many. end. It seemed like you guys were kind of frustrated and kind of uh, well, uh, throughout many, the game. Too many penalties, you know. I think I think the... The ones in the first, I think, put us on our heels right at the start of the game, and they weren't frustration penalties. You know, it was a four-minute high stick. Kaner trying to lift the guy's stick and catches him, and and then a shooting it over the glass. You know, those are those are unfortunate things that that happens to everybody. But you know, it kind of kind of snowballed on us in the first, and we had trouble recovering. Um, how do you think, in general, your team handled its emotions tonight? Oh, I, I don't know. We're good. I love the finish there from DeBoer, just somewhere in between apathy and indignation, and I don't have time for this, but it was fantastic. Oh, I, I don't know. But things got real last night for the San Jose Sharks. They fell behind in the series 2-1, to one, and I don't think they want to leave Las Vegas trailing 3-1. to one. So they've got some things to fix. Most importantly, don't give up those first-minute goals. That, to me, is by far the difference maker in this series. I know that's not exactly... Hard 
to figure out, but that is the reality. If they don't give up these first-minute goals, the last two games are entirely different. And I also think that in doing that, you get Jones back on track, you get his confidence built, and that helps everyone. And also, you get the team playing with greater confidence. The way they came out in Game 1... They were flying high. The confidence was sky high. I'm not sure what happened between game one and game two, but the team did not play with the same kind of fervor, did not play with the same kind of intensity, and it wasn't, the start wasn't as slow in game number three. I'll acknowledge that. They didn't fall behind three, nothing. That being said, they didn't come out as hot as they did in game number one. They need to look back to game number one and realize that's how they need to come out. And also, Invite the physicality earlier into the game. It took a while before Logan Couture was out there trying to body up on guys, finish his checks. See if that happens earlier or if there's a place for it to happen earlier in game number four. Obviously, you don't want to be overly physical and take on any early penalties, but I don't know. Just go out there and show these guys you're not afraid of them and that you're willing to take control of the series. It's like Rusinowski alluded to. Kane getting in that fight with Reeves, that was him setting the stage for game number four. And I appreciate that. I really, really do. But for now, it's a matter of the Sharks trying to find that mental edge, that confidence, that overall, hey, we're in control here, not you guys. And you can still do that while you're down a game. So if the Sharks can find that again, they're going to be in a much better place going forward. But again, it's a best of seven series, guys. I predicted it would go seven games. I think we're headed on that path. But hey, You win game four, it's a best of three series with the Sharks having home ice advantage. That wraps it up for this edition of Morning Tide. Again, an absolute pleasure being with you. Game three did not go the Sharks' way, but it sets a dramatic stage for what will be a fantastic game number four. Again, be sure to tell all your friends, all your fellow Sharks fans about Morning Tide, which comes out the morning after every Sharks playoff game distributed by all of the San Jose Sharks digital and social platforms. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off. Thank you for listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. Music composed by Yogi Yen. New episodes appear each morning after Sharks playoff games on the Sharks Sharks digital digital platforms. platforms.